Let's open our Bibles tonight to the book of Hebrews chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 6. Excuse me, snuffing and all of that good stuff. But anyway, praise the Lord. Pollen is a blessing. We wouldn't have new trees if we didn't have pollen. Uh, In Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 1, it says, Therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let us go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms and of laying on of hands and of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. And this will we do if God permit. In this list that we just read through, there are six distinct doctrines, teachings, that are called foundations here, or principles. That's the same thing, what it uses the term foundation. And so these are things that God expects a believer to know uh, kind of as first first information that we receive. Once we're born again, we're brought into the Spirit's fullness as we begin to renew our minds to the things of God. This list is a list of things that we really need to know. And right in the middle of these important things like repentance and faith and resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment, all right in the middle here is, in verse 2, the doctrine of baptisms. Last week, We laid hands on a number of people to minister to them healing and blessing. And I talked a little bit about the laying on of hands and uh, thought I was ready to move on. But the Spirit of the Lord checked me that we weren't quite done, that I needed to talk a little more along this line. And so that's what I want to do tonight. And, of course, if you are here and you need the laying on of hands, or you desire the laying on of hands, that's available to you as well. Really, the laying on of hands has a lot of connotations in the Scripture. It's used and found in both the Old Testament and New. It's not something that's just new with the Christian era, and of course it wasn't something only relegated under the Old Testament. There are various applications for it, ways that it operates, I call it sometimes the power of touch. We as humans were created to respond to touch. And you know that that's true. Uh, They found, you know, that babies need time that they uh, want to just, you know, touch their mother after they're born and just kind of lay the the child upon the mother's uh, breast and just allow the child to to, uh, be ministered to by the power of touch. We also find in the Word where that in uh, Luke eighteen fifteen, people who had small children, had the King James calls them infants, brought them to Jesus that he might touch them. Luke chapter 6 and verse 19 talks about the multitudes who sought to touch him to be healed. We know in the Old Testament, for instance, that when Jacob was getting ready to die, he knew that he was soon to leave the earth, that he brought all of, called all of his sons to come into him. He had 12 sons. And actually, he uh, brought all of his sons and also Joseph's two sons. And he laid hands on every one of them and spoke over them. 
the power of the laying on of hands to impart blessing is not a little thing where God is concerned. In First um, Timothy chapter 4 and verse 14, Paul reminds Timothy about the call of God upon his life and about what the Lord had spoken about him doing the, through gifts of the Spirit. And he talks about the, the, his receiving by the laying on of hands, 1 Timothy 4, 14. And then in Matthew chapter, I'm sorry, Mark chapter 16 and verse 18, Jesus said, these signs shall follow them that believe. And of course, there's a list of various things. And one of the things he said would follow believers, one sign that would follow them was that they would lay hands on the sick and they would recover. In the last chapter of the book of Acts, Acts 28 and verse number 3, when Paul and, and the folks he was with on board the ship that was shipwrecked and was uh, cast upon the island of Malta, and when they had to stay there for a while, uh, uh, when they first got there, uh, there was a man who was the father of the chief man of the island. His name was the, the man that was the chief man's name was Publius. Publius. And his father was sick and evidently probably would have died had he not had some kind of a divine intervention. And uh, Paul went into him, laid hands on him, and he was healed. And then after that, the word tells us that people came from all over the island to be healed. So the laying on of hands is not something that is just rare in Scripture. It's not just a one-off type thing. But it's something we see woven throughout. In Deuteronomy chapter 34, for instance, when Moses was getting ready to leave the earth, and knowing his time was short, he uh, laid hands, the Bible says, on Joshua and imparted some of his wisdom into him. Now we also know that uh, the laying on of hands was used as a public demonstration of a real consecration and sanctification to a holy office like the priesthood or something of that nature. Um, many times the, uh, the laying on of hands would be accompanied by the anointing with oil. And you'll remember that when uh, one of the reasons probably you might think about Jacob being so uh, but it being so important to him to lay hands on his sons was because I'm sure he would have remembered the, uh, the, the great uh, benefit of the blessing that was given to him by his father Esau, even though Jacob got it through um, subtlety. He got it through uh, deception. And uh, Esau touched him. It doesn't say he laid hands on him formally, per se. But we know that that the laying on of hands has been from ancient days till the present day a way of imparting the power of God. Impartations, however, must be received. We make the statement around here when we talk to ministers, and I think it's important to always understand if you ever stand in front of people to, to communicate anything to them, that nothing really has ever been taught until something has been learned. All of us had teachers in school probably that did a lot of talking. You don't remember a thing they said. And there are other teachers that they did teach you some things. They made a mark. They made an impact. 
And so there is a cooperation in that process, of course. You've got to want to hear. You've got to want to learn. But nothing's been taught until something has been learned. Well, I would say this to a great extent. Nothing has been imparted until something has been received. A lot of times people in the area of healing and other ways that they need help from God they look at the laying on of hands or some type of ministry impartation as it all being on God to make it happen. That, you know, if somebody has, quote, got the goods, then surely it's going to, you know, I'm going to get it too. But there are many people who have been laid, uh, have hands, had hands laid on them by powerfully anointed men and women of God who didn't get anything. There have been many people who just thought that surely I'm going to receive and they went away disappointed. And one of the reasons, and of course this isn't the only thing, but one of the reasons is because sometimes people forget they have a part to play. We have a part to play. Impartations are there, but you have to receive them. It's kind of like somebody fixing a good meal, setting everything out for you to eat. You got a place at the table, you got a chair, you got a plate, you got the silverware, you got everything you need. But if you don't ever go and, and fill the plate and eat, you won't get full. And so impartations must be received. Now, what is the thing that's most often involved in the impartation? I want you to turn with me to the Old Testament now, to the book of Isaiah, Isaiah the prophet, chapter 10 and verse 27. This is a verse that many of us know and could quote perhaps by heart, but I want to look at it one more time. Isaiah chapter 10 and verse number 27, and here the prophet says, and it shall come to pass in that day that his burden shall be taken away from off thy shoulders and his yoke from off thy neck. So we see that there's something here that's going to deal with burdens and yokes. You know what a yoke is. That's something that binds you, that holds you in a place. If uh, many years ago when they, when they used animals for plowing and animals for, you know, in the place of where now we would use a tractor or something, they would yoke multiple animals together so that they would pull together in the same direction and do what needed to be done. And so that word yoke here, that's what it means. You're put into a place where somebody else is in control. Think of a drug addict. Think of someone that's bound with some kind of perversion or someone who is a slave, as we might say, to their anger or to bitterness or unforgiveness or whatever the case may be. Well, that's a yoke. A burden, of course, is a load. Something that has to be carried. It's not pleasant. It's, it's extra. You know, we were created to, to function as we are. We weren't created to go through life with a hundred-pound sack of flour on our shoulders forever. To always carry a burden. And we also understand that, that it's obvious here that he's not just talking about natural things. But he's talking about things in the realm of the spirit. Burdens that come, the burdens of life, and the yokes the devil tries to put upon us. He's the enemy. Well, it says, It shall come to pass in that day that his burden shall be taken away from off thy shoulder. 
and his yoke from off thy neck, and the yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. The yoke shall be destroyed because of the anointing. So we would be able to conclude from this verse that the anointing spoken of here, which is the manifested presence of the Holy Spirit. It's God in manifestation through the Holy Spirit. That this anointing is yoke-destroying, burden-removing power. Power. You see, if you're sick, you need healing power. If you are bound with, with poverty and you don't even know a way out, then you need some power in that realm for abundance and plenty. And we could go on and on down a long list there, but I think you get the picture. It's important to understand what the anointing is about. Acts 10.38, for instance, says how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Ghost and with power. Now, we know Jesus needed to be anointed, had to be anointed to do what he did only because he had stripped himself of his heavenly position, so to speak, in order to become a man. And in humbling himself, and you can find a, a wonderful verse, Philippians 2 and 5, that talks about this. In choosing to empty himself of those divine privileges and rights, he became a man. So it was necessary that as a man that he would minister the only way that a man can minister the things of God. And that's through the anointing. And so that's why you read about, for instance, in Luke 4, about Jesus being anointed of the Spirit. Remember, as soon as he came up out of the water from his baptism, he, he was anointed by the Holy Ghost. Do you remember that? And then, and then he went and preached in his hometown of Nazareth, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me. Well, Jesus had been going to the synagogue there ever since he was a little boy. Almost everybody in that place that day would have known him. And he had never, in all the 30 years he'd been on the earth, he had never got up and made such a statement. He might have read that passage as being a reader. They would have had people that would have regularly been able to read in the synagogue. It wasn't unusual that he would get up and read. What was unusual was when he, when he found that place and read that scripture and then had the audacity to say, this day is this scripture fulfilled in your ears. That changed everything. Because he was saying to them, I'm here to do what this verse says. The anointing makes the difference. It changes everything. The anointing of God is what you need in that very stubborn area of life that you're dealing with that you've tried different things, both natural and maybe even attempting some spiritual things, but nothing seems to have budged, nothing seems to move, nothing seems to have changed, the anointing will fix that. And that's why we have to get to the place where we know how to tap into the anointing. It's just like, uh, a house that's wired with electricity. Well, if there was some way 
to bring somebody uh, back from 200 years ago. What would that be? Uh, uh, 1823? Uh, Is that right? Not, anyway, 200 years ago. <laughs> Is that right or not right? Oh, good, good. Math was never my strong suit. I don't really have a strong suit, but that really is not one of them. Um, but if we could bring somebody back from 1823 and bring them into your house, I mean, if, you know, obviously this is, you can't do that. But if you could just, they could just appear in a bodily form and they don't know anything beyond what they knew when they died in 1823, they wouldn't have a clue how to even turn on the lights. They'd never seen a light. They wouldn't know what to do with your cell phone. They wouldn't know what to do with your dishwasher. They wouldn't know what to do with any of those things that run on electricity because they're unfamiliar with that power. They don't know how to tap into it. Now, you and I are in a position where we need to tap into the anointing. We need to tap into the anointing. And even if we don't need anything today, we need to tap into the anointing in such a way that we learn how to flow with and flow in that anointing so that we can minister it to people who do need help. So there's multiple reasons for learning about this. We need it, and we need to give it away. Praise the Lord. So it's very, very important. And in 1 John chapter 2, verse 27, the Bible says we have an anointing that abides within. And in Romans chapter 8, verse 11, we're told that the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead will even quicken or give life to these mortal bodies. All of this is happening or will happen for us because of the anointing. Now, don't make the mistake that maybe all of us have made, but we don't want to keep making it. And that is to focus on the sending end. If something's not happening, if something's not moving, if something's not changing, the problem isn't with God. The problem isn't on the sending end. There's something wrong on the receiving end. You know, if I go home tonight and I look around, the street lights are on, everybody's lights are on, and... And I go in my house and it's totally dark and I can't get a light to get come on. I can't get anything to work. I'm not going to call uh, and, and uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to call somebody to try to get some help. But one thing I'm not going to do in that call is to call some place, wherever you would call, and tell the power company, there's something wrong with y'all. <laughs> you know. Because I'm having a problem. You know, they're going to tell you, well, you know, you need to check your place. Everybody else has got power. Everybody else has got lights. And so it is. We need to, we need to be willing to see what do I need to do? What do I need to change if necessary? What do I need to fix if something needs to be fixed? So that the power of God can operate in my life and do what I need done. Amen? And so we want, we want to do that. We want to be very diligent to, uh, to do that. And here's what I want to say a couple of things tonight that's important, especially uh, for those who had hands laid on them last week or who might have hands laid on them tonight or anytime for that matter. And that's this. If you are uh, ministered to appropriately by someone who is anointed by the Holy Ghost, 
in obedience to the command of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, and you submit yourself to that kind of ministry, then the power of God that's imparted to you, if you receive it, the power that's imparted immediately goes to work. Immediately. I don't know if you've thought about it that way or not in the past, but I would encourage you from this day forward always to know that if you are ministered to, from the moment you are ministered to, the power of God is at work in your life. It's work. It's at, if you have hands laid on you tonight, and then the power of God will be at work in you in the morning and on Friday morning and on Saturday morning. Now, you may not feel it. You're not always going to feel it per se, but the power of God will work to do its job. You say, well, why does it maybe take some time? I don't have all the answers for that. I wish I did. If I had all those answers, you know, this place would be packed out. They'd be standing in line to find out what's the answer. I don't know all the answers, for, and I don't think there is one simple answer for every situation. But I can tell you this, just because you still don't see the full manifestation of your healing or your miracle doesn't mean God's power isn't working in you. We quit too quick. And that's one of the devil's biggest strategies is to get you to lay your faith aside and give it up because he knows if, you can, if he can get you to stop believing him, believing God, if he can get you to stop your confession of faith, if he can get you to stop praising God for the answer, he's won. He's won. And, and I don't know if you've noticed or thought much about it, but if you've ever done that, and most of us probably have about something in our life, so I'm not trying to, you know, uh, just act like I'm perfect and nobody else is. That's not what I'm saying at all. But the fact is, probably most of us have started some project that we didn't finish. And one of the things that happens is, once you lay things like that aside, you usually don't pick it back up. Not anytime soon. And so it's important that we learn how to function with these impartations, that we learn how these things work. And the symbolism of the laying on of hands is a picture of an actual happening. I want to say that again. The symbolism of the laying on of hands is a picture of an actual happening. It's a, it's a time where that touch brings impartation of power that changes things. In Acts 19, verses 11 and 12, the Apostle Paul there, it's said of him that God wrought or worked special miracles by the hands of Paul. So that from his body were brought unto the sick handkerchiefs or aprons, and the diseases departed from them, and the evil spirits went out of them. So there were pieces of cloth, some say maybe pieces of leather, some of those aprons might have been a tradesman's apron, maybe a piece of leather. I don't know. But at least cloths that were taken from Paul's body. And it says that God wrought special miracles by his hands. So evidently he touched them with his hands. He laid hands on them. Perhaps he carried them on his person for a period of time. But anyway, they were taken to the sick and, and the demonized. And those who had demons that were causing their problem. They were set free of the evil spirits. And those who were sick in their bodies. Their symptoms left them. They got that miracle of healing or deliverance. And or deliverance. 
without ever being in Paul's personal presence. So this is one way that we see in the New Testament that God extends the laying on of hands beyond the person's actual hands. We've seen this happen. We've seen results in this regard. And when we can get people to believe, when we can get people to accept the Scripture and believe that God's power will manifest to them in this way, if they will receive it, then God's power will go to work in them to affect a healing and a cure. Now, sometimes uh, people... Uh, are ministered to in such a way they don't maybe fully understand. They may not even really know the Lord very well. And, and sometimes some very outstanding things will take place. And then there are people who've known God for a long time. They're not a spiritual babe. God's expecting them to trust Him and believe Him. And so they, they're going to have to fight the good fight of faith. You might say again, well, why does that happen? I, again, I don't have all the answers, but I can tell you this. I do know that when God's power is ministered, your healing is available. When God's power is ministered, your miracle is available. And so what do we do? What do we do? Or what would you instruct somebody to do? That maybe you took a, what we call sometimes a prayer cloth. I've got some here tonight uh, in my pocket, this pocket. And uh, we're going we're gonna to make these available if somebody wants one or wants to send one to somebody. You know, I've told this story so many, many times, long ago in a, a land far, far away. <laughs> now, we were pastoring a church in eastern Kentucky years ago, and a lady in our church was there, and, and um, uh, she was a nurse, and she, uh, she was concerned about an uncle who said he was an atheist. He didn't know the Lord. He wasn't born again. And he had this large growth that came up on the back of his neck, like a big tumor, like an egg or something there. And um, the Lord had for some years used us in this, this way. And so she asked that we would, uh, you know, that would lay hands on that cloth and she would send it to him. He was in Arizona. We were in Kentucky. And so she sent it to him and instructed him. It's amazing how people claim to be an atheist until they need a miracle. <laughs> Amen. Oral Roberts said that... Uh, the man who doesn't believe in miracles is the man who's never needed one yet. And there's a lot of truth in that. So anyway, he changed his tune. And he took his niece's advice. And um, he put it somehow back there. I don't know how he fastened it to a, a shirt or a nightshirt or whatever it was. And he woke up the next morning and that was gone. Completely gone. Now, you say, why would God do such a thing so quickly, so easily for a man that didn't even know the Lord? Well, one, one thing that happens is when people are spiritual babies, you get a whole lot more special treatment when you're a baby than when you're an adult. You know that? When's the last time somebody fed you? <laughs> Amen. Amen. You, you know what I'm saying? Th after a while, God expects babies to grow up. And there are a lot of things that people with, with a low spiritual knowledge level that they can get by with that we can't. 
We're supposed to be using the word every day. You see, this whole thing about the anointing and the word of God, it's not supposed to be an occasional thing. We're supposed to, we're supposed to live in this. We're supposed to walk in this every day. Amen. So, what do we do? What do you do if you are ministered to or someone you love is ministered to? What would you tell them that they need to do from that point on? Here's something the Lord began to deal with me about. This is not the only thing that we could talk about, but we're running out of time. I do want to get this one in. So this is very important. And I believe somebody tonight needs to hear this for sure. I do, but I think there's more than just me. Confession is the key here. The words of your mouth, including the power of your praise. The Lord was dealing with me as I was meditating about this. Confession is the way to keep our mind focused, our heart filled, and our body free of pain and sickness. I want to say that again. Confession is the way to keep our mind focused because your mind's going to always go in the direction of your words. It's the way to keep our heart filled because you put... With your, with your words, you put the word of God into your heart and get it filled. And our bodies free. Focused, filled, and free. Because the power of the event that we are confessing, when we confess 1 Peter 2.24, when we confess Isaiah 53.4 and 5, when we confess Philippians 4.19, when we confess... Philippians 4, 6, and 7. When we confess these powerful scriptures, when we talk about that Jesus took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses, when we talk about the, uh, the gifts of the Spirit, what we need to understand is that the power of the events we're, dis- we're talking about and the power of the truths that we're talking about and the power of the principles that we're talking about are the power of those things are released every time we speak about it. Romans 1 and 16 says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it, the gospel, is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes. It, the gospel, is the power of God. It, the gospel, is the power of God. It, the gospel, is the power of God. There is power in the gospel. There is power in declaring the truths of the word of God. Whatever truth you're based on, whatever truth you're proclaiming, the power of that truth is released as you speak it. That's why the gospel can be fresh 2,000 years after the events took place. We talk about the crucifixion, we talk about the resurrection, we talk about the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, things that in time and space happened 2,000 years ago, but they are as real in 2023 as they were then as we proclaim and declare the truth. And that's the way it works in your body, that's the way it works with your organs and your, your blood pressure and your blood sugar and all the other stuff, your kidneys, your, you know, your heart, your, your arteries. 
That's the way it works with your finances, your money, your family, whatever it is in your life that's important, you can understand and know that the Word of God will affect it if you declare it. And so what I would say is that we need both the touch of the anointing and we also need the voice of faith. It's the Word and the Spirit, not just one or the other. Churches and ministries that only focus on the Spirit, spiritual gifts, and a move of the Spirit, and, and, and only uh, make way for demonstrations and manifestations that include people falling under the power and all other kinds of those things. And believe me, we love that. We're not against that. We're for it. But if you do that and people don't get the Word taught, preached, and manifested in their lives, they're not going to have the fullness of the blessing of God. And a church that doesn't want to move of the Spirit, doesn't want the gifts of the Spirit, doesn't make room for the Holy Ghost, doesn't allow or have any time for the move of the Spirit, and they only want to teach, and they're all about, you know, definitions and Greek and Hebrew, and they're all about, you know, just picking and, and turning over the rocks and the stones and finding all the, the nuggets in there, and that's all good too. But we've got to have both. There has to be a balance. And one of the problems in the full gospel world today is that we have too many churches that are either in one ditch or the other. There are too many dry churches where people don't even know how to yield to the Holy Spirit. They make no room for the Holy Spirit. Everything is predetermined and pre-planned before they even get started and nobody can change that. And then you have another problem is you have churches that are totally disorganized. And it's all about coming and, you know, we sung such and such song the other day. That seemed to get people excited. Let's sing it again. Let's try it again today. Let's just see what we can do to get people worked up. And we need to be careful that we don't get in the ditch. We want to stay in the middle of the road. We need it both. And so that's why people sometimes, you know, they get in meetings and they get ministered to and they can sense the power of God. I mean, I don't know uh, what kind of experiences all of you have had. But there have been times in my life, I remember I'm thinking of a time right now. It's so vivid in my mind, even though it was probably 25 years ago. It is so vivid in my mind, I still can remember it to this day. I was pinned to the floor and could not get up. And when I did get up, I couldn't speak in English. I was only speaking in tongues. And it was a meeting in a hotel ballroom. The, uh, you know, the, the people in this convention, we were staying in that particular large hotel. And so our room was upstairs. I was upstairs back in my room. I was one of the last people to leave the ballroom. I couldn't get up for the longest time. And when I got to my room, then I could start speaking English. A little bit at a time, it came back to me. Now, the, the reason I could get caught up that way is because I yielded. Now, please understand. It wasn't like some demon took me over and, and all of that. It was I had yielded to the Holy Spirit. And it's amazing when you yield to the Holy Spirit what he'll do. Amen. The first time I was ever slain in the Spirit, I'd never seen anybody fall under the power of God. Never been in a meeting where that had happened. That never happened to me. 
And when uh, the minister called me out and I stood in the aisle and, and he ministered to me and laid hands on me, I did not have a clue what was going to happen. The next thing I knew, I was in the floor on my back. No catchers, by the way. I don't even know if they even cared what an usher was. There was no, no helpers in that regard there. And so there I was on, this, on the floor. And I came to myself speaking in tongues. Again, See, you see these things that get connected. The fullness of the Spirit. Speaking in other tongues. They're keys to the anointing. Keys, one of the great keys to the, to the anointing is to pray much in tongues. To pray in tongues. Praying things out. Praying yourself into things and into places. I mean, I could go a million directions here, I guess. But what I'm trying to say is I remember those kinds of times. And I've had those experiences. But there have been many, many other times when I was not so overcome with the presence of the Lord, but I still knew He was there. And I knew that my confession of faith and my reliance on the Holy Spirit would work even when I didn't feel anything. Anybody can shout when they feel like they're walking on air. It's easy to praise when you're in a room full of people praising. But it's when it's 3 a.m. and you're all alone and nobody else is awake and the devil's telling you lies and he's trying to tell you what he's going to do and all this mess. That's when your faith is tested and that's when you have the opportunity to pass that test and put the devil in his place. So I just want to encourage you not to forget what the Lord does when you're ministered to. That's, that's really what I'm wanting to say. <coughs> Don't look at it as an experience only. <coughs> and then when the dust settles, as we say, you, you're trying to decide, well, did anything happen or not? Do I feel any differently or not? No, it's not over. Don't turn off your switch of faith. It's not over. Amen. Is there anybody here tonight? You need hands laid on you. I know I laid hands on a lot of people last week. So maybe there is none here tonight. But if you are, we make that available to you. Amen. Is there anybody that, uh, if you just lift your hand up, would you want us to give you one of these pieces of cloth? We take a moment. How can we have several for that? We'll do that. I've already quoted the scripture from Acts 19, verses 11 and 12. I do want to say this. That verse <coughs> says that God wrought miracles. Was it Paul? Paul was a conduit. He was a channel through which the power flowed. So I can't heal anybody. I can't set the captive free, but Jesus can. So, Father, we believe that the anointing of the Holy Spirit that's in this room tonight for ministry, for impartation, that anointing flows with these pieces of cloth and when they're taken to the sick <clears throat> when they're taken to those that have needs that the sickness and disease departs from them and if there are any kind of manifestation of evil spirits causing their problem harassing them in any way we command them to be gone the anointing the power of God will drive them out in Jesus name Amen 
You know not every spirit has to be discerned. Read your, read your Bible, read your Gospels. You'll see that in Jesus' ministry, there were times when people were set free of devils. It never says that he discerned them, called them out by name or whatever. Different ways he would minister, but the anointing itself can drive out demons. So maybe if, you might want to put these under somebody's mattress. I, I'm not joking. Amen. Let the anointing work. Bless you, Brother Derek. Thank you. If you just hold your hand up, you'll get that for you. Praise the Lord. Did you come from ministry, Deborah? Thank you. Is this for you? Yes. This is a time to receive. This is a time to just reach out with your faith and take what God has available to you now. The anointing destroys the yokes. It removes the burdens. It makes the difference. Lord, let the anointing go with these pieces of cloth. And those who are sick, we declare healing for them and their bodies. Those who are oppressed in any way, harassed in any way, bothered in any way by the devil. We command their freedom in the name of Jesus. Satan, take your hands off their lives. Take your hands off their bodies. Take your hands off their minds. Take your hands off their situations. We claim our families for God. Our children, our grandchildren, our brothers, our sisters, our parents. We just thank you, Lord, that you're a miracle-working God. 